We have been talking for the last uh, two months, we've been talking about the table, the tables in the Bible. And our series is called Welcome to the Table, a place of gathering, of healing, and resurrection. And we have shared all sorts of tables throughout the Bible, and today we land at, the, at what I call maybe the ultimate table, the most amazing table. I call this the gathering table. And I, I, I really want to encourage you to, to dive deep into this. And I, I want to invite uh, my lights to go up in the crowd so they can see their Bibles. If you brought a Bible, hard copy, if you brought your phone, I really encourage you not only to look it up here, but to see it. And so um, in Isaiah, we're going to be in Isaiah 25. That's going to be our place, Isaiah 25. But in Isaiah, we find this amazing story, this amazing poetry. It's so powerful, so beautiful. But to understand Isaiah 25, we need to understand Matthew, I mean, Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24 basically speaks about the destruction of the world. And we see it in its first verse, Isaiah 24, 1. It says, O Lord, no, 24, 1. It says there, Behold, the Lord says, lays the earth waste, devastates it distorts it, its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. Isaiah 24 speaks about the destruction of the world, but in the midst of this destruction, on the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, God gathers all his people to that mountain. And so this gives the context to understand what happens in Isaiah 25. In Isaiah 25, we find something very interesting. In Isaiah 24, part of Isaiah 24, part of that destruction of the world, there's a city that is pointed out there. This city, the city of the world, is bring, brings oppression to the people, the inhabitants of the world, to humanity. And, and in verse 2 of Isaiah 25, verse 2 and verse 3, it reads, For you have made a city into heaps. It gives us more detail about the city. It says, And made a city into heaps, a fortified city into ruins, a place of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. And we have found, throughout the Bible, we found cities. And, and, and basically, Cain is the one who starts this trend of building cities. And the Bible speaks about Egypt. And how Egypt went and faced off with God. But then it talks about Babylon. And how Babylon is the one that faces off against God. And even in the end times in the book of Revelation, we find the city of Babylon. But here it's trying to tell us this city who has oppressed, who has gone against humanity, is finding judgment. It's finding judgment. And I know we're always scared about that word judgment. Because we're always scaring our people about judgment. You better be prepared because judgment is coming. You better be prepared. And it almost feels, that message almost feels like Santa Claus. Hey, Santa Claus is coming into town. You better be good. You better be good. But this is not the case here. Judgment is good news for us. Judgment is gospel to people who believe in Jesus Christ. Judgment is a blessing to us. And, and the question is why? Why are we going into, why is this city going into, just, into, into judgment? And verse 3 kind of tells us, and verse 3 and 4 kind of tell us, says, therefore a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. And notice what it says, for you have been 
a defense for the helpless and a defense for the needy and distress. A refuge from the storm, a shade from the heart, for the breath of the, uh, the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. This is the reason why it's being judged, because it's been oppressive to this world. It's been oppressive, constantly oppressive. Those who are needy don't receive. Those who are thirsting don't get water. Those who are hungry don't get food. This city, who, who through the ages, has been oppressing and bringing us into slavery, it, it, it's been constantly on us. And God says, I'm going to bring judgment over you. And the good news of judgment is that God stands in between you and the oppressor. The good news of the judgment is that God says the oppressor will pay its price. No longer will you oppress my people. No longer will you take advantage. No longer will you bully them. I don't know how many of you have experienced bullying. I pray that none of you are the ones to do the bullying. But if you experience bullying, it's difficult. It's hard to go to a school, to a university, to a place where you're constantly being bullied. It's even worse. There's another term for bully, and it's, it's, it's abuse, physical abuse, women who go through physical abuse, children who go through physical abuse, men who go through physical abuse. It's, it's, it is so difficult. You are scared. You never feel safe. And this is what this city has provided for us so far. So far, we have been bullied and bullied and bullied. And here, God is making a stand. Isaiah 25 is this amazing, beautiful poetry. It has a song in both sides of this amazing verse, which stands at the center. The first part of the song is sang by one individual. The second part, the second song is sang by a community of believers. And right there in the middle is the centerpiece of the song, the, the reason why the songs are being sang. And I, I, want, you, I want to invite you to, to look at this song. Notice in, in, chapter, in chapter 25, verse 1, verse 1, we read the following. It says, O Lord, you are my God. And I want to I want, leave that verse right there. O Lord, you are my God. Notice how personal this is. O Lord, the Lord is the name of the, the proper name of the God of Israel. It's the God who gets in the midst of the mud with you. It's what David experiences in, 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 in Psalms chapter 40, where he says, Lord, I'm awaiting you, and I'm, 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 I'm here in this mud. And God comes into the mud to meet David and brings him out of the mud on top of the rock where he rejoices. It's a personal God. This is a personal moment. This tells you that this singer has gone through an, a, an incredible experience, an incredible journey with God, and it's personal. He says, oh, Lord, you the one who gets dirty with me. You're the one who gets messy with me. You are my God. You belong to me. Church, does God belong to you? Do you belong to God? Do you feel that you are a children of God? No, not feel. Do you believe that you are a child of God? Do you believe that God is fighting against this oppression, this, this power that oppresses you? Do you believe that he is your father, that you are his children? This singer says, oh Lord, you are my God. 
And he's amazed at the journey that God has walked with him. And so no wonder he says, I will exalt you. I will thank, I'll give thanks to your, to your name for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago. And then he ends with this amazing sentence. And he says, with perfect faithfulness. Don't go too far, church. Because right here, the word perfect and faithful, those are two Hebrew words that when combined together, they bring this understanding of faithfulness. And, and basically what he's trying to say here is it's unimaginable faithfulness. It's perfect faithfulness, quintessential faithfulness. That God sticks with you in the good and the bad. And your highs and lows and difficult moments and hard moments and celebratory moments and successes and failures, God stands beside you. When you know it, when you don't know it, when you don't feel him, when you think he's far away, he's right beside you. He is faithful. When man fell into sin in chapter 3 of Genesis, we fell into sin. We started running away from God. God was faithful to us. He chose a people, a people who were one day they were faithful, the other day they were not faithful. God stood right beside, even when he sent them into exile. God went into those places as a little sanctuary, according to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16. God has been faithful even when you haven't been. Even in the midst of your struggles with sin, God stands beside you faithful. He's faithful to you as an individual, and he's faithful to the community of believers. He is faithful. This is our God who's fighting our fight. I love it. In 2 Corinthians, there's a story about Jehoshaphat, who is surrounded by a multitude of enemies. And he is freaking out, and so he prays to the Lord. And he prays to God, and God says to somebody else, he says, hey, Jehoshaphat, you don't have to worry because this is not your fight. This is my fight. The only thing I need you to do is to go out there tomorrow and praise. Oh, church, you missed that. You don't have to fight in this battle. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on the power and the strength of our Lord and God. It is his strength, not your strength. It is his power, not your power. The only thing that God is asking you, as weak and fumbly as you are and I am, is to go out and praise. Acknowledge that God is for us. Acknowledge that his strength is working in our favor. And let me tell you something about this. Because we need to understand, God is... Way up there. I was telling this to Addie. Yesterday we were studying the Bible together, me and Addie. And I was telling this to Addie. I want to share this with you. God is imminent up there. He's almighty, all-seeing, all-powerful, way above. But he's radically here where we are, involved, walking with us. This is a God who has created heavens and earth, who created the universe. This is a God who spoke and things came into being. This is the powerful, almighty God who at the same time comes down as Emmanuel, God with us, walks with us, enters into our sinful condition, enters into our reality, walks with us because he wants to bring us home. He's way up there and he's radically involved with us right here. This is our God. 
That's your God. And this is why this guy is singing to his lungs. He's perfect faithfulness. He is faithful to you. Even when you decide not to be faithful to him. And we all have those days, don't we? We all have those days where we're wanting to run away from God. Where we had it. There's days that are like, why God are you doing this to me? And we run away from God. And yet he is faithful. How beautiful is our wonderful Lord. He's amazing. But then comes something interesting. I love what happens next. It's the second song. And in the second song, we start in verse 7. And in verse 7, we read, On this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. Even the veil which is stretched over all nations. That covering is sin and death. Now you need to understand, we're going all over the Bible here. Because Isaiah here is writing, and he's connecting all the dots all over, New and Old Testament. And in Romans, Paul tells us that sin entered into the world. And what did sin do? It opened the door so death can come in. Death is our greatest enemy. It's our greatest enemy. Death is our greatest bully. Sin is an addiction and it brings death and death has filtered in different areas in our life and it brings, it is a bully. It keeps on hitting us and hitting us. Physically, it hits us. Emotionally, it hits us. Socially, it hits us. Spiritually, it hits us. Death has been at your door constantly. Every single day, death is at your door. Every single decision that you make, death is knocking on that door to influence it. Death doesn't care about your dreams, doesn't care about your love, doesn't care about your family, doesn't care about your circumstances, doesn't care about what you aspire to. It doesn't care about you at all. The only thing it wants is you dead. It's bullied you. How many of us live with insecurity? How many of us live that we, we, we need to do something in, in order for people to notice us? That's death right there acting up with us. How many of us feel that we need to push over somebody because that person is being too successful so we need to take him down? How many of us we have to be political in our decisions in order to get our way? That's death acting up. Death has been a bully forever, and it's always walking beside us, just waiting for the opportunity to put us down. It what makes you feel that you're worthless. It what makes you feel that you're no good for God. Even when you're trying to praise the Lord, walking with God, you constantly have that voice speaking to you, you're a hypocrite, you're no good for nothing. That is death. But I love what's happening here. But let me make no mistake, God is really angry at death. There's a story in the New Testament, in John chapter 11, Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, has died. They describe him as gone to sleep. And there's this phrase where, where it says that Jesus' spirit was troubled. And, and the translation is not that good because basically in the Greek, what it's trying to say is it's talking about a bull. 
And the bull is staring at death right in its face. And it's snorting. And that's how it's positioning you. Jesus is looking at death as a bull snorting. And you can see Jesus going, he's angry. There's wrath. That's the enemy. That's the bully of my children. Make no mistake, church. He is faithful to you. God knows who your enemy is. God knows the enemy that has taken you down over and over and over again. And he's looking at it at the face and he's snorting like a bull. He says, your day is coming. And I love, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You are no match for me. I am the life giver. We have a God who stands in between the oppressor and us. We have a God that you matter to, that you're valued in his eyes. A God who loves you so deeply that he will go to any match, any fight just for you. And these, this community of believers, they catch on that. And verse 8 of Isaiah 25, verse 8, they catch on this. And they say, he will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe the tears away from all faces. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. You remember that verse? And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer what? Any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying. For the first things have passed away. Do you get this? Death will never touch you again. Death will never make you feel insecure again. Death will never take somebody that you love away ever again. We are victorious in Jesus Christ, church. And it's we who believe in the end times, we who believe that Jesus is coming again, we walk like we have been defeated. And it is time that we raise up and we acknowledge, yes, Lord, I am your child, you are my God, and we have won the battle. And therefore, let me share with the whole, the whole world that Jesus is coming again. It's a reality. There's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be in a corner. God not only, you know, God liberates us and delivers us, not so we can go into a corner. He liberates us and delivers us, and on top of that, he redeems us by the blood of the Lamb so we can be in the presence of a holy God. There is victory. And Paul says it very well. I love how Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. I love how Paul says this, but in all things, we are over, overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. We have won the battle. I was telling the class this morning, 
something that my dad did, and I shared this long ago with Canyon Creek Project, like in year two. A lot of you were not here. But my dad once uh, asked me to come out. He was calling my name. I come out, and as I'm coming out of the building, dad is holding a snake in his hand. And I freak out, not because I'm afraid of the snake, but because I'm afraid of the snake. I freak out. And so dad starts laughing, and he has this look in his eyes, and he takes and he steps on the head of the snake. So he kills it. And then he takes the snake and he goes and he places it in the middle of the road. That road, we were in a rural place, and a lot of people would walk up and down that road. And so dad was smiling as he's coming back, so people think that it's alive, but it's dead. And I never forget that because the devil has lost this battle. Jesus won. You see, the devil, his head was squashed. Jesus won. The problem is that, like that snake, the devil's still swinging its tail, and a lot of us think he's alive, but we have won the victory in Jesus Christ. We've won. Our Father, the faithful one, the God who's fighting the oppressor, we won. And so let's live in faith. Let's live in faith at those who have won in Jesus Christ. The Bible keeps on saying in verse 9, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. Look how beautiful this is. I, I love this because I've always heard this verse but out of context. But look at it. It says, and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. These guys are not talking like, like, oh, what a surprise. Oh, you are God. No. These are people who have been walking with Jesus. These are people who Jesus has saw and fall, fall on their face, crumble, fumble, do all sorts of things, lift them up, run away, come back. These are people who know who God is and finally get it and see, here he is. We've waited his salvation. Here it is. We're going to take it. It's amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's like a teenager and parents. You know how teenagers are? Us, you know, us teenagers, right? We always think that we know more than our parents. In fact, we, we, we're like, oh, I wish my dad would not. He doesn't know stuff. You don't know, mom. You don't know dad, right? Like, you don't even know how to open your iPhone. I have to open it for you. Like, you don't know what to do because, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this, and you're always calling me to tell you about computer stuff, and it's so frustrating because I have to run through, mom, mom, the mouse, the mouse, the little thing that moves. Yeah, the, yeah, the arrow, the arrow, mom, the arrow, the arrow. Did you see the arrow? We have to tell you, you don't know nothing. Meanwhile, we're having that attitude. Our parents are, slow, are slowly sharing wisdom, sh slowly sharing life, slowly telling us, what, what, what life and how to, to face life. And then suddenly one day we grow up enough that when we look back, we see the wisdom of mom. We see the wisdom of dad. And we said, mom, thank you. I got to tell you, I've shared this before. My mom had such a tough time with me being a teenager. I was so terrible that one day she had this prayer and said, Lord, I give him up to you. He's yours. I can't deal with him any longer. And the next year I, I became a... I, be, I started starting to be a pastor. Guess that. You know, that's... A, uh, <laughs> God, God 
Thank you. God is so amazing. God is so amazing. So this, and this is what happened. We don't get what God is doing in our life, his power, his faithfulness, him standing up to the oppressor. Sometimes we feel that he's not there. Sometimes we feel that God is nowhere to be found and we feel totally alone. Meanwhile, God is defending. God is doing all these things. Sometimes we say, God, you don't know what I'm going through life. You've never experienced this. But then one day, it hits us. And we return to God and we see his faithfulness so perfect, so there, so present. Even in the most difficult and shameful and most embarrassing moments, God stood right beside you. There is reason to worship our Lord. There is reason to give our life to Christ. He loves you. He loves you. And then to top it off, after this, this second song, right? We have the first song by the individual guy. The second song we just finished right now, which is the community, then we go to the centerpiece, verse 6. In Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says, The Lord of hosts. No, notice the vocabulary. Don't miss out on vocabulary. The Lord, the host, will prepare. Who's going to prepare it? The Lord of hosts. A lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. This is, imagine a gladiator, some type of warrior who fights all day to defend you and to, for his children and his wife, defends, fights, fights, and wins the battle, comes back home. And the, the most fair thing is that when he comes back home, he sits at the table and his wife, us, the church, comes and sits down and gives them the meal, prepares a meal, and, and dresses the table, and here, thank you so much for your victory, eat. But that's not what God does. God is faithful. He fights the battle for you. He gets the scars at the cross. And then he comes and saves you. And then after he saves you, you know what he does? He prepares a table, goes into the kitchen, and he starts preparing the meal that you and I are going to eat. And then he dresses the table, and he serves us the food, and he sits us, and he says, let's enjoy it, there's no other God in this planet of the Eastern religions, of whatever new religion. There is no other God who will come and fight for you, be faithful to you, not let you go because you made a mistake, love you in spite of the mistake, come and save you, prepare a table for you, give you a dinner, cook by himself, and sit with you at the table and enjoy it. There's no other God in this planet and this universe that will ever do this. Buddha will never do this. The gods of self will never do this. Your gods, that, that God that resides in your life, is always condemning you, judging you. There is no other God than Jesus. And this God loves you. So he, tells, he says, come, let's gather at the table. Look what it says. He's preparing a dinner for all people. People from all nations, all walks of life. In the New Testament, we talked about this parable where he says, go out, bring people, good and evil, bring them. 
It's God who will transform us. It's God who saves us. It's God who, who gives us the power to live in his presence. My friends, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus is saying, come to the table. Let's gather. Let's feast on the table. You were oppressed by the enemy. You were oppressed by death. Sin bullied you. The Satan accused you. But I saved you. You belong to me. Can you hear that, church? You belong to him. I love Jesus. Joel chapter 2 makes a call. And I'm going to make a call today. And it reads, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garment. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding and loving kindness and relenting of evil. He loves you. And for a long time, we've been saying throughout these weeks, welcome to the table, a place of gathering, of healing and resurrection. Uh, many of you have been battled by the enemy of death. Just recently in December, I lost my father. It hurts, but I know my God. And many of you find yourself in the same place. You've been bullied. You're tired. You feel that you don't have identity. You feel restless. And God says, return to me. I am gracious. I'm compassionate. My love know, knows no bounds. I don't want to punish you. I want to save you. I want to bring you back to the joy that you have lost. So I ask today, is there someone needing Jesus? Is there someone wanting to come to the table and feast in the Messianic banquet? If that is you, feel free to stand up, kneel down. You can come to the altar if you need to, but I just want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. If you're in need of Jesus, I just want to pray for you. If you've been abused by the enemy, abused by Satan, abused by death, abused by a sin, by, by bad decisions, by all these things, and you're wanting to rest, you're wanting to breathe, return to the Lord. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's loving. He will stand by your side. And so I just say, come. Come to the altar. Let him love you. Let him enjoy you. Let him protect you. Let him protect you. Let him take care of your heart. Let him take care of your person, of your family. Just live, just, just allow yourself to surrender in the arms of this God who loves you so deeply.